told you before, Good Friday is my favorite service. And it's, it's probably because maybe you're not like me, but I don't take enough time to sit and think about my sin. Think about what it costs. Think about what it meant when it was my scoffing voice that cried out. It's too important to get to Starbucks on time, right? We got places to be, people to see, things to do. That's why I love Good Friday. It's not good because we made it good. It's good because he's good. But, but I got to be honest. I've been to way too many pathetic Good Friday services in my life. Heck, I've led them. Where it's almost like the aim and the goal of the pastor of the church is to make you feel your guilt. To make you feel your shame. That you're the scum of the earth. We do things like give you a note card and you write your sin on it. You beat it into the cross. We do crazy things like hand you a nail as you walk into the service. We want you to just think about it. We want you to picture yourself as you cry out among the scoffers. As you hurl the ridicules, as you put Jesus on the cross. Heck, Mel Gibson in his film, you remember, we kind of made a big deal of this, that it was his hand that drove the nail in to to Jesus' hand on the cross. And I think part of that is, is this American way of us wanting to actually own part of the cross. It's like we know that we put him there. This is all theological truth. But it's as if if we can just feel like we helped put him there, then we'll feel better about ourselves. Then maybe then we'll feel like, okay, now, now I feel the weight of your sin. Brothers, sisters, let me tell you, you don't. You can't. It would crush you. That's why I love Good Friday. Just to take time to think of the force of grace. And some of it's rooted in really good theology. It comes from the suffering servant. It comes from from Psalm chapter 52 and, and 53. In fact, one commentator said it this way. I must assume this guilt because God demands it of me. And if I do not take on this guilt, then Jesus dies alone. Well, guess what? He did. So I wash my hands of the whole thing or... I take his death and I try to experience it myself and it requires me to atone for my responsibility, my suffering and my wailing and my self-hatred. And in that way, so it goes. Then maybe God can forgive me for my murder of God's child, a child of God who was sent to die apparently in the first place in order that then it would restore the universe rent asundered by my killing Jesus. And I think it might be a little insane for us to pretend like we can feel that completely. Or maybe it'll just make us go insane if we try to figure it out. But there's a beautiful poem in Psalm 52. And in this poem, the author writes this. It's the suffering servant poem, Isaiah 52. And this is where some of this theology comes from. 52 verse 14, it says, As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance. This is foreshadowing Jesus. This is talking about our Christ, our Jesus that took this for my sin, for your sin, and he was despised and rejected, and he was pierced, and he was crushed, and he bore the sin of many. 
And all of this is true, and all of this is real, and I think it gives us some insight into who Jesus is and what he really did. What he did for you and me. But i got to be honest. We deserve the suffering, but he actually did it all. All of it. Not some of it, but all of it. It's important that we recognize not just these middle verses of the poem, but how the poem begins. And I just want to note for a second, here's how the poem starts. It's actually in chapter 52. It says this, look, my servant, talking about Jesus. What's that word, brothers? Look at my servant. What's the word that Isaiah uses to describe the servant? What's the word? So when he's beaten and marred and bruised and crushed and wounded, understand how the poem starts. This was the plan. Now, many of us are like, well, if that's what success looks like, I don't want any of it. But Jesus said there was no other way. The poem starts saying, look at my servant He shall be successful. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. But when Isaiah prophesied about this, we didn't know what it meant that he would be high and lifted up. But we do today. In verse 14, when it says, as many were astonished, were more repulsed at who Jesus had to become because of our sin. But look how the poem ends. At the end of this beautiful poem, it ends this way. Out of the anguish of his soul, him being Jesus, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted what? That's you. That's me. Oh, to be like you? To give all I have just to know you, to feel you, to experience you. This is why I love Good Friday. It's not so that I can suffer with Jesus because I can't, because I shouldn't, because he did. But it's because of his innocent death for others exclusively that we now have a fresh way to view our lives. It's because of his death that we have reason to live. And Isaiah focuses like a laser beam on the fact that the death of the servant was a death for others so that we could live. There's only one role for the suffering servant. You need not apply. That role's been taken by Jesus. And we all say, amen. That role's been taken. Tonight is not about beating yourself up. He beat himself up for you. Tonight's about accepting the gift. Tonight's about remembering Tonight's about remembering that he is successful in us and through us. That when he suffered and when he died, this was not something that caught God off guard. No, this was his plan. Because he loves you. So don't try to join Jesus in his death. Rather, receive from him your new life. The goal of Good Friday is not to suffer with Jesus, but to become like him because he suffered for you. So tonight we're going to remember. We're going to remember what he did. We're going to remember who he is. And we're going to remember that Sunday's coming. But you can't get Sunday before Friday. 
We need to think about our sin. We need to think about what it cost. And the fact that for the joy set before him, he endured the cross so that you and I could have life. After creation, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, I think they were all there together. They saw creation after six days, and what did they say it was? It was good. And then what did they do on day seven? They rested. After redemption, Jesus sat on the cross and he said, It is finished. It is good so that we can rest forever. So tonight, we're going to go to the banquet. We're going to go to the cross. We're going to sit with Jesus, and we're going to sit with the reality that he was pierced for our transgressions. There's two stations in the front. We have a couple more songs that we're going to sing as we kind of close out tonight. And I want to encourage you, during one of these songs, come. Don't beat yourself up for your sin. If you grabbed a nail when you came in, leave it there. Don't carry it around with you. He buried that garbage. And then get ready to come back at 9 or 1045 on Sunday and celebrate. But tonight, we just want to think. We just want to be still. We just want to recognize that he, because of his death, will divide his portion, his inheritance of the king of kings with us. Sinners saved by grace, and he will divide the spoil with the strong, not because we were strong, but because he was strong. Father God, thank you for sending your son on that good Friday between noon and three to die on that tree in Calgary for me. Because I needed it. Because I had no hope. But in you, there's hope. So tonight we remember the gift and the force of grace and the goodness of who you are that makes no sense to any of us. So instead of trying to figure it out, we simply say thanks. We want to know you and the power of your resurrection. We want to live in that power. We want to taste that power tonight. I pray for my church, I pray for my friends, for my brothers, for my sisters, that we would recognize who we are and recognize how great the Father's love for us is.